The Olympic Channel podcast is brought to you by Bridgestone, worldwide Olympic and Paralympic partner, a founding partner of the Olympic Channel. Olympic Channel podcast. My name is Ed Knowles and this is the official Olympic Channel podcast. Two amazing guests who I spoke to in Beijing not long after they competed. Coming up, we have Lana Mayers-Taylor who battled her way through a positive COVID test on arrival to Beijing. Plus a whole host of other barriers to take home a silver and bronze medal to the USA. More on that later. First, Gus Kenworthy is an Olympic silver medalist, free skier, total legend in the game and a big advocate for LGBTQ plus in sport. After a long career representing both the USA and at this Olympics, Great Britain, he is retiring from the sport. So I caught up with him just after his eighth place finish in the men's halfpipe free ski final. Olympic Channel Podcast. I'm Gus Kenworthy. I am a professional free skier and three-time Olympian competing for Team GB. I'm now retired, right? Like, is this it? Retired. Do I still get to say skier? I'm like... Yeah, I don't know. Do you... <laughs> I'm Gus Kenworthy. I'm a has-been. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is a funny joke, but it's, it's totally not true because, uh, you know, like today... Even... All humor comes from truth. <laughs> <laughs> Um, today, uh, it was amazing to see you t- uh, today, but it was a gnarly fall. So how did, take me through today and, and how you got back up again. Uh, I mean, today was honestly really frustrating. We showed up and it was just insanely windy, like obviously not ideal conditions. It was also really, really cold. And I think that everybody kind of had to adapt to the conditions. Everyone, maybe with the exception of Nico, changed their run and ended up scaling back on what they were going to do, myself included. And um, first run was going really well, got a bad gust of wind going into my second to last hit and just had basically no speed, fell over. Second run, another bad gust of wind, decked out really hard on a right side double cork and uh, it hurt a lot. (laughs) And then um, third run, I kind of knew that I had to, to dig deep and I hadn't put a run down yet, and I knew it was going to be my last competition run ever, so I really wanted to make sure that I just stayed on my feet, and I was able to do that. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the run that I was hoping to do, um, wasn't the run that I was planning on doing, but um, I, I'm glad I, I made it through in one piece, and the, the level was crazy considering how bad the conditions were, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it. Good. It was a proud moment for me. It's like it's one of those things where you watch someone do something for so long and then it was nice it's nice to see the 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 stick the last run right it's it's good so as as you kind of reflect I guess on being an Olympian it's something that you aspire to be when you're a kid and and now obviously that's a full stop um what has being an Olympian done for your life I mean being an Olympian has honestly changed my life in more ways than I could have ever imagined like they say once an Olympian, always an Olympian. And like that, that title kind of just stays with you and it it carries weight. Um, it has opened more doors than I could have dreamed of as a kid. I've gotten to do so many incredible things and experience so many things just, just because of the fact that I am an Olympian and have an Olympic medal and, uh, not just because of, cause it's obviously an accomplishment, but it, it has, I don't know. I feel like it's helped me transcend uh, this sport because free skiing is kind of a niche sport. Um, and I feel like I, I've had 
success in the sport and I'm so, so grateful to the sport, but just because of the Olympics, I've been able to kind of move into this other world and gotten to do things I would have never dreamed of, like hosting the summer games for NBC and um, I don't know, being in like magazines and things. I, I grew up in a really small town, so I didn't ever see that for myself. How much will you miss competing? Uh, I think I'm going to miss competing tremendously. I mean, I'm, I'm very competitive, but also this has just been a huge chunk of my life. I mean, I've, I've been skiing since I was three for 27 years, and I've been doing it professionally for 14 years, traveling the world with my friends and competing and dealing with the pressure and the injuries and all of that. Uh, so it's, it's kind of surreal to think about the fact that I won't be doing that anymore. Um, it's definitely bittersweet. I feel very proud of everything that I've accomplished. I've had a career that uh, I've just enjoyed every minute of, but um, actually that's not true. Some of it has been not great, but I, I, I have really loved what I've gotten to do and I'm excited for the next chapter, but it's it's sort of sad to close the door too. I mean, you are a really good actor. I feel like that is like, you know, you need to, okay. to be safe. Like, well, come on, like you wouldn't have been put in the front and center an American Horror Story, if, if someone didn't think, oh, he's actually quite good, you know, right? I think, and, uh, and uh, um, I wondered what your dream role would be. Like, who would you like to work with? And, and what, you know, kind of, what is your acting ambition? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think my dream role would be in a comedy. Uh, I think I'm funny. <laughs> Um, I, I love Judd Apatow movies. Uh, I would love to be in a Judd Apatow movie. Um, but yeah, I think a comedy would be my dream role. They're, they're few and far between now, right? These like funny movies are few and far between. When there is one, it's like a time to celebrate because it's like, I'm, I would look forward to that. So I don't think, I, I, I feel like I've lathered a lot of praise on you and I'm going to do one more if that's all right. But sure. you have keep, no, honestly, keep, keep, keep exactly. the compliments coming. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think it's an exaggeration to say, and I know this is true because I know this is in my friends is, is true. You've become like a, a gay icon. Like people love you in the community. And um, I just wondered, you know, and you have broke down barriers before and put things on TV that have never been seen before, you know, kind of by accident, but just by being yourself, you know. Um, but what is next in order to kind of maintain and, and kind of, you know, even build on the things that you've achieved? Uh, I mean, I think like, for me, I, I, I feel, uh, I guess, fortunate to, to have had the role that I've had in uh, breaking down barriers, as you've said, it, there just hasn't been a, a ton of representation in action sports, there wasn't much or any. So I'm grateful that I got to, to be that representation, but I feel like anything I did was just sort of me being me. So um, it's it's like nice and it feels like an accomplishment, but it's also sort of weird because it's just, I feel like I'm just kind of doing my thing, but I'm, I'm proud of myself to have embraced myself wholly and, um, and, and shared that because I, I definitely didn't think I was gonna have the courage to do that for a long, long time. Um, but I don't, I don't really know what's next or how to maintain that. I mean, I, I, I think I just want to continue to live my truth and, and try and be as authentic and genuine as I can. Um, but yeah, I don't have a concise answer. Yeah, no, that's cool. I think, um, the authenticity is real, like you can feel it. And, and I think that's, that comes a great power. And I think, what would you give maybe some um, encouragement to somebody who is kind of struggling at the moment with with that kind of, with 
personal things, whatever it is, you know, and not managing to say the truth, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would I would encourage anybody to, to try and live their truth, but it's sort of an easier said than done type of thing. And when it comes to living out and proud, if you're a queer person, it, it can be pretty scary. So I, I feel like I always want to preface it in, by saying that I, I don't want to encourage anybody to come out before they're ready. Like it's such a personal experience and journey and everyone should do it on their own time when they feel safe and when they're in an environment that's conducive for it. But for me, it was the single best thing I've ever done for myself. It was so freeing and liberating. I feel like I competed better. I was happier. I became closer with my friends. I was able to actually be my, my true self. And I feel like that, uh, sort of like makes you lovable and uh, by other people and by yourself. And it, it's just a, a great atmosphere. So I would encourage it for anybody, but obviously I get that people are on their own schedule. Okay, last question. Pick a number between one and 34. I That's mean, very specific. Exactly. Um, uh, 21. 21. Where would you most like to live? I, I'm pretty happy where I live. I live in LA. I like it a lot. Uh, I was in New York before LA and I also really like living in New York. To be honest, I think your house is amazing. Like you, you renovate it. It looks really cool. Oh, thanks. That I actually sold that house. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't, there hasn't been photos of the one I'm in now, but I, I also redid it. I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah, it looked amazing. Yeah, yeah, good. Alana Mayer's Taylor's journey to Beijing 2022 was incredible. After taking a break from sport to become a mother, she returned to take a silver and bronze medal home from the Olympics in China for the USA. If only it were that simple as that sentence, but with the support from her family, she actually did it. She continued to breastfeed her son, Nico. She battled against the positive COVID test on arrival to the games and age 37 remains one of the toughest competitors in the sport of bobsleigh. I spoke to her on the final day of the Winter Olympics. Olympic Channel Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you because it's been, every athlete has a journey. But I feel like getting here to this moment right now for you, the day after the the whole thing finally finishes, how satisfied are you with how everything has gone? Oh my gosh, I am over the moon with how everything has gone. This has been a dream of dreams and something that I, how we started, I had no idea that this would even be possible. So to come on the other end and, and to have two medals and yeah, you know, they're not gold medals, but they feel like gold medals for sure. I think that's kind of one of the things that when someone looks at your Wikipedia page or something, right, that doesn't know much about you will be like, oh, well, you know, <laughs> there's one thing missing, right? But I think that these two medals are perhaps the most special of all, right? After everything you've been through. They are the most special by far. Um, you know, coming back from pregnancy to start off with and, and having my son and and then coming through this whole journey. I mean, I think that's the thing about any time you win a medal, it's really about the journey and what it took to get there. And it's hard when you're in the moment, when you're at a race to take that all in and, and to remember what you had to do to get there. But holy cow, like it took a lot to get here. It took a crazy amount to get here. And so it might not shine like gold, but in my heart, it shines even brighter. I think 
let's try and break it down then, right? I think one of the things, the very first things is you're really good at breaking barriers down politely, like without like, you know, like kind of in a way that makes people do it, right? And, and, and um, one of those things that you managed to do is bring your son over. And that is an incredible thing, given all of the restrictions and stuff like that. So can you explain just how you managed to do that and why you didn't give up? Yeah, so the IOC had made a rule in Tokyo that if you're breastfeeding, you can continue to bring your children with you and have them alongside with you in any ways. Um, but my son, um, with his different diagnosis, we felt like it was important to breastfeed him as long as possible. And then with COVID, we were like, okay, if I can provide any immunity to him, we need to continue to do this. And so that was irregardless of anything the IOC had said. So when the IOC had said that, it was like, great, now we have the opportunity to bring them with us. And I never want to be by his side anyway. So when that happened, we were going to do everything we could to make sure he was there. And fortunately, we were able to get all the paperwork in and, and get him all processed. And he was able to join us here. I mean, you're just saying that like a sentence there, Ahmed. Getting the paperwork and the processes there, that's like that. That's like some people would just say, you know what? Like, maybe it's easier if we just don't, you know? I think you don't do that though. You just don't give up. <laughs> no, I think it's my stubbornness. Uh, my husband's pretty stubborn and my son is pretty stubborn too. So I think all of us tailors are pretty stubborn. So I think that's part of it. But I also think that this whole journey was about him. And if I could do anything possible to get him here, I was going to do it. And no, it wasn't easy, but he means the world to me. I want to have him next to me every single moment of every single day. So I was going to do whatever it took to get here. So I might say it in a sentence, um, because for me, that's that's all it is. I was, I'd go through the end of the earth for that little boy, and that meant having him by my side here too. And the journey here was difficult, but then when you arrive, like, take us through that moment. How are you feeling? Like, does your heart sink when, when that, that res or do you not believe it? Like, what, what were you thinking at that moment? Yeah, when we got here and tested positive for COVID, there was a mixture of emotions. Um, it was a, definitely a lot of worry, definitely stress. Um, and, you know, we had gone two years of competing, traveling, training, doing all this stuff and just avoiding COVID and nothing. We had, we had been good this whole time and we had kept my son safe. And I think the first thing that went through my mind is, are we all okay? We all tested positive. Are we all okay? Symptom-wise, everything. And fortunately, we must have got a weak strand or something because we were asymptomatic. And then the next thing is like, okay, what does this mean? What does this mean moving forward? Are we going to even be able to compete at these games? And you know, it was a lot of ups and downs, but I had a lot of really great people in my team um, supporting me and, and just trying to cheer me through it and fans and, and family back at home just telling me and encouraging me that I could do it. I think we've seen other athletes, they've struggled mentally to reset after that period. And you were the flag bearer. That's huge honor. And I know you take these things quite seriously as well. Like you would have been happy to, I know, like, uh, um, so how did you manage to reset your mind when, when this, this happens? Yeah, um, well, first for the flag bearer, it was really cool uh, to make lemons out of lemonade. Like I had the really cool opportunity to hand that off to Brittany Bow, who's an incredible person and just as much deserving to carry the flag as I was. So, you know, as much as it was hard to not carry it myself, to see her carry it and to have that moment to give that to her was really cool. And that's a moment that 
I don't know that anybody else will ever get. So hopefully nobody else, because hopefully we're not in a pandemic anymore. So um, that's pretty cool. And, and to have that now as part of my memories, you know, me and Brittany will be tied forever. If we weren't before, we were friends before this, but now I think we're tied forever. And then as far as how I was able to stay in there mentally, uh, it definitely wasn't easy. Um, two sports psychs and a psychiatrist back at home later, you know, I think it's still going to take some time to process and still take some time to work through. But they got me to the point where I could at least get to the starting line. And I knew if we could get to the starting line, we would do good things. The other thing is my husband is just one of the most positive, optimistic people I've ever met. He's my strength and conditioning coach. He's a Cairo now. He does everything for me. And he never gave up. Every single day, he's like, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. You know, I'm crying my eyes out in isolation. And he's like, no, we're going to do this. You're okay. Everything's okay. Even up until the last run here, everything's okay. And he just kept reminding me that we got it. <laughs> wow. That's so good to hear. It's like, yeah. But I think... Wow, I'm uh, I'm super impressed. It, it takes a village, right? Yes. <laughs> a big village, and I married the right man. Thank goodness. Like, <laughs> I got really lucky with that one. Yeah, he's got the practical and the mental. It's, it's good. Um, I want to talk to you specifically about the monobob as well. It it means that I guess that there's a sentence that a lot of people throw around that representation matters, right? And if you see something, then you can be it. And I think that's the International Women's Day theme this year as well. And, you know, it's such an easy event to watch and hook onto. And it's kind of crazy because of the way that the monobob kind of as a vehicle operates. <laughs> it's so crazy. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, so can you just, um, you know, it, that you, you did awesome there. So did Kaylee. You know, how great is it to have that event and why does it matter that it exists? Well, it matters for a couple of reasons to have that event. First, because it gives women two opportunities to medal at the games. Um, having that and being on par with the men, having those two chances is just one more step closer to equity. Um, I think we still have a ways to go to try and get more numbers, but you know, just having two medal chances, having that vis visibility, you know, a lot more people were able to tune into bobsled because we had more events, and hopefully that leads into more women getting into the sport. The other thing is with monobob because. All the sleds are the same. Um, it's very limiting on the equipment advantage, and it allows a lot more countries to get in. So you saw Jamaica, you saw Netherlands, you saw a lot of different nations. And I can't imagine what that's going to mean back at home to those nations too, let alone to the U.S. to have one and two up at the podium. So hopefully it just continues to grow the sport. And I'm really excited. There's a lot of young pilots out here. I'm really excited to see where this sport's going to go in the future um, because those girls crushed it. And, you know, it, it's kind of scary. <laughs> so I was like, oh, this might be my last games because there's a lot of really good talent and a lot of really young talent. And that's what the monobob also allows you to do. It allows you to get started even sooner. I think also winter sports in general has an issue um, with having enough black athletes at, at, at the games, you know? And one of the good things about the monobob, as you mentioned, is that it just lowers the bar slightly. It's still expensive to entry. You know, what more can be done in order to widen representation in that way? I think we have to make the monobob continue to make it more accessible. I think one of the biggest issues in our sport is sled shipping. Um, and so we have to have the sleds available so people can just come and show up and, and drive those sleds and, and have those kind of limitations 
decreased because even for a lot of athletes to come to the test event and get extra runs here, it was just prohibitive because of the costs and everything like that. So anything we could do to continue to limit costs will just continue to grow sport. And I think we really need to do a better job of making sure smaller nations get track times. They're able to get quality coaches on a lot of different tracks because, you know, our Southern Hemisphere friends, there's there's nowhere for them to slide, you know, unless we're building a track in Australia at some point, which would be great. <laughs> that would be really awesome. Um, there's nowhere for them to slide. And they have a lot of significant costs to try and get over to North America or to Europe to try and make it work. I mean, even you saw Brie Walker. She lives in Germany most of the time. And you see her development because she's able to have access to tracks. And her finishing in Monobob fifth is, is just historic. It's just amazing. But imagine how many more athletes we could have from the Southern Hemisphere going for gold if we gave them that accessibility. Okay, last question. And what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? The best piece of advice I've ever been given is shoot for the moon, and if you miss, you'll still land among the stars. Go for it with all your heart. Alana, thank you very much. Thank you. Olympic, Olympic Channel, Channel Podcast. Podcast. Big thanks to Alana and to Gus Kenworthy. That's it for now, though. Stay safe, stronger together, and see you very soon. Think like an Olympian.